Thank you for listening to our podcast today from Crossroads, South Arkansas. I am teaching Pastor David Preston, Jr. I pray that the words you hear will bring you closer to God and encourage you as you go through your day and week. Thanks again for joining us. Father, we love you. We praise you today for the fact that you arrested death, you stopped death. And God, we can be grateful today because you didn't stay in the grave lives since that day. God, you offer free salvation through Jesus. God, may people reach out to it today. God, Easter always seems different, even in the church. But God, today I pray that, Lord, there are people who are desperate all over our world, and I pray that today, Easter, would be something different for those who may have never even spoken or heard your name before. And God, for those of us who know you, God, I pray that we would never be the same. God, we can't rely on anything else other than you. Everything else has been stripped away. So today, may we focus, may we concentrate, may we listen. God, may our hearts be ready. May they be soft to hear your word. And God, may we use that word and take it and use it to further your kingdom. Lord, because that's the only thing that matters. God, you are the only thing that matters. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Dave. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, I appreciate everyone being here and uh, joining us this morning. I've been sitting to the side and uh, watching as the names popped up of everyone who's been watching. And it's it's really cool to see a, a lot of you. I'm not even going to begin to name the first one because I'd leave somebody off and I don't want to do that. Uh, but it's been cool to see everything. I know uh, from what I've been, I've received a few texts at the feeds cutting in and out. And we've tried to adjust that right quick. So hopefully that'll work, I'm sure. Uh, the weather's had a little bit to do with that, but um, uh, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going, and it's been a great morning, and I, I appreciate Cliff uh, getting us started off with uh, the worship this morning, and uh, I appreciate the fact he listens to the Lord and uh, uh, sings what he feels like the Lord's laying on his heart, and that, that means the world to me and, and I know to our church, and uh, he's he does a great job for us, and uh, we appreciate that, and enjoyed that um you know this easter is uh special six weeks ago if you had have told us that practically every church in the united states had been closed on easter we wouldn't have believed it we wouldn't have thought that was possible we wouldn't have thought that uh there would be any reason that would lead to that but here we sit and here we are i'm in his living room or technically in his uh his kitchen area uh about to preach a sermon. That just doesn't make sense. Um, but the thing that I want to make the point of today is I'm sure on that Saturday in between Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, the party that was going on in hell was huge because the devil had thought he had won. The demons had thought they had won. And I'm pretty sure if you took what was going on then and you take what's going on right now in our country, that 
that party would have been similar. We're approaching Easter. The greatest or the, the, the reason we are Christian is because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure with everything going on in the world and in our country right now, the devil and his demons were thinking they had won. But here we are. There's more Bible being preached across social media and the internet today than there ever has been. And they thought they had won. They thought this was going to be an, a, a situation where they were going to get glory out of this. And instead, it's flipped and Christians are standing up stronger today than they ever have been because of the fact that our God is alive. Our God, His Son, resurrected on Easter Sunday. And we celebrate that today. You know, I was doing some looking and, and, and researching and, and praying about what to speak on today. And, you know, I got to look in. There is no other religion that I've been able to find well-known, obscure in the history of the world whose leader, whose God appeared to people after death other than Christianity. There's some religions that have folklore. There's some religions that have... Uh, their beliefs that there was some form of resurrection, but we have historical proof that he, Jesus, stood in front of people after his resurrection. Not only that, we have proof. The book of Matthew says that graves opened up after his death and saints, those who were very holy, came forth out of their graves and went and shared uh, in, in Jerusalem. We have things that have happened with Christianity that no other religion can say. And it sets us apart and it makes us who we are and it gives us the hope and the faith to continue on doing what we're doing. You know, I, I've, I prayed a lot about what to speak on this Sunday and I know we, we focus on the resurrection and that's what, it, that's what it's about. But I want to share with you today, I want to take it back a couple days. I've prayed a lot about this and I've tried to talk myself out of it quite a few times and I'm just not able to. And I want to share with you about the cross because without the cross, there can't be the resurrection. I want to share with you what Jesus went through. You know, a lot of times in our society, we humanize the cross. We take the bad out of it and we only want to focus on what we want to because it's pleasant to us. And there was nothing pleasant about the cross. You know, I, I'm doing some research for this and, and our church people who are watching, you've heard me preach on the cross before. Um, and stay with me because there's new added to this. So it's not just going to be a rerun for you. But, you know, as I was researching and searching and, and looking for different things to to talk about today, you know, I, I did not know this. And if you knew this, then congratulations, but I didn't know this. If you've ever used the word excruciating, do you know where that word came from? Um, I've used it before, but I had no idea where it came from. The word excruciating came in the 15 and 1600s. Uh, they were teaching about the cross and their, the belief at that time was there was not a word in language that could... Uh, tell you or that could explain how bad the pain was on the cross. There was not a word that could describe in full effect how bad the cross was and what Jesus went through. So they took the word in Latin, the, the, the prefix X from excruciating means intense 
or repeated or horrific. It means very bad. And the word uh, group, excuse me, cruciating comes from the Latin word for cross. So if you took the literal Latin translation for the word excruciating, it means the overwhelming intense pain of the cross. So if you've ever used that word to describe a headache or to describe pain, you are saying that the pain that you feel at that moment by literal translation is the overwhelming intense pain of the cross. That word didn't exist. They created that word to show you to give a word to what Jesus went through in his death in the cross. Um, how painful was the cross? We most, most of us, if not all of us, have heard of Julius Caesar, one of the, probably the most popular uh, emperor of Rome. Julius Caesar was considered to be merciful. And the reason he was merciful is because when he would sentence people to death by crucifixion, uh, he took a different step. You know, crucifixion during that time in the Roman period was only set aside for slaves or for foreigners. No Roman citizen could die of crucifixion. That's how bad it was. That's how horrible it was. They would not allow a Roman citizen to be executed by uh, crucifixion. But when Julius Caesar would sentence his enemies to crucifixion, he would have them go through the process leading up to it. And then before he would get to the actual crucifixion part, he would order that their throats be cut so they would not have to go through the pain and the punishment of the cross. They would still be crucified, but they would be dead before they got to the cross. That's how brutal the cross was. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. He went through that knowing that, knowing that was what he came for, knowing how bad it was for you and for me. Something so bad that Julius Caesar wouldn't even let his enemies go through for us. When you think about it from that perspective, what Jesus did for us is unbelievable. You know, along the line, Jesus was offered something to drink and a lot of times they would give liquid, a drink to the people who were being crucified that contained myrrh. And what that would do is that they would drink it. It would deaden some of the body to where you didn't feel as much. In some cases, you would even pass out so you didn't have to go through the pain. Jesus denied that drink. He did not take that. But at the end, he, the John book of John tells us he took one drink of a common drink, which was basically just what we would consider to be vinegar, a commoner's drink to quench his thirst. And then he even turned that away. There's so many things that he went through. And I want to share with you the steps of the cross and what Jesus went through that led to why we can celebrate his resurrection today. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have um, those where you can look at it. I'm going to read it to you quickly, but we're going to look at John chapter 19, verses 16 through 37. I'm going to read these to you, and then we're going to go through it. But this is John's version of what happened that day on the cross. It says, they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called the place of the skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. 
Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, his disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation, and Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath. And a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may also continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that said not one of his bones will be broken and they will look on the one they pierced. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you died on the cross and you rose again on that third day, the day we celebrate today. Lord, as we worship with you and we hear your word, Lord, and we hear what you did for us, I pray that you let us take it to heart. Let us see it different today than we've ever seen it before in our lives. Let it have a different meaning today than it's ever had in our lives, Lord, and help us to use this to push and further your kingdom. Then we give you the praise and glory in your name we pray. Amen. The cross. The cross. It's something that, as I said earlier, a lot of times I think we almost uh, take it for granted. It's something that that we see because we see the, the crosses we have in our home or we see the crosses that we have in, uh, in our society, in our culture, and they're pretty. They're nice. They're reverent. Um, they are a representation of what Jesus did for us, but they fail to show exactly what he did for us. And that's what I want to share with you today. You know, I, I started at the part of the crucifixion reading the story uh, for the sake of time, but we know that before that even happened, that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He went there after the last supper he had with the disciples where he told them that things were about to happen. He knew his time was coming. I want to encourage you at some point today, go back and read Psalms chapter 22. Go read in Isaiah and look at what was said thousands of years before about what was going to happen on that day. And then remember this story and how many things. Jesus knew that song. He knew what it said and he knew that was a, about him. He knew the things that were said in that Psalm that were written in Psalm 22 were about him. And on that, what we would call a Thursday night when he was in that garden of Gethsemane, he knew that everything about that Psalm was about to take place in his life. 
the amount of stress, the amount of pressure. Because while he was on this earth, yes, he was God, but he was human and he felt the stress. He felt the pressure. And he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And the Bible tells us, we didn't read this part, but it tells us that he had sweat that was like great drops of blood. You know, uh, I've read a lot of things and doing a lot of research and there's a lot of people that say that he was just sweating and it was profuse sweating and they, but he didn't really believe. But you know, I don't believe that. I believe that if the Bible said his sweat was like blood, he was sweating blood. I don't know why it wouldn't have said it the other way if that was true. You know, there's a medical condition called hematidrosis where the capillaries in your body can get so overworked because of stress, because of pressure on your body, that the capillaries on your skin that usually help push the blood and they're also part of the sweat glands will actually burst. And because that happens, the, the blood vessels in your head or the, the sweat glands in your head where the sweat comes out, the capillaries inside of those burst and actually blood will come out with your sweat. So it is medically possible and it's medically true that while Jesus was in that garden, he was under so much stress that as he sat there and he kneeled there and he prayed, and the Bible even says he was down on his face praying that sweat was pouring from his forehead and from his body and blood was coming out with it. He was so stressed that he was bleeding as he, as he was sweating. There's been times in my life where I felt like I was as stressed as I could be. Um, I was as stressed as I didn't know what else to do, but I've never been to the point where I was stressed so bad that I was bleeding. I've never been to the point where I was stressed so bad that blood was pouring out of my body because of that stress. That's the stress that Jesus was under at this time. We also know that's where Jesus betrayed him and the, the, the Jewish soldiers came and took him in and started to bring him to the uh, place of the high priest and the Sanhedrin. And when he got there, he went through more ridicule, more, ridicule, more pain and more tor torture. They would ask him questions and he would not answer their questions. He knew what their goal was. He could have said whatever he wanted to say. He could have said the perfect things and the right things and it would have ended, but he knew what his mission on this earth was. So he was hit in the face for not answering questions. They would blindfold him and spit on him. And then they would slap him. They would punch him. They would hit him. And while he was blindfolded, they mocked him and said, tell us which one of us just hit you. The, the, the thing about it is he could have told them. He could have blown their minds with what he knew. But he stood there and took that punishment for you and for me. After they got through that, they took him to Pilate. While they were taking him to Pilate to, to go under the trial in front of the Roman magistrate there, on the way, they continued to punch him. They continued to hit him. They continued to humiliate him. They get to Pilate, and Pilate looks at Jesus and talks to him and asks him the questions, and he listens to the, to the high priest and what they said. And when he gets through, Pilate looks at him and says, I don't find any fault in him. I don't find anything wrong. Besides, he's a Galilean. Send him to Herod. Let Herod handle it. So they took Jesus to Herod. Herod did many of the things the high priest did. He told him, you know, I want you to perform a miracle for me. Let me see what you can do. And Jesus stood there in silence. Finally, to the point that Herod said, you know what? We're not going to do this. Send him back to Pilate. Uh, this man's he's, he's not who he says he is, send him back to Pilate. I don't have time for it. You know, the thing about it 
is after the beatings that Jesus had taken, he had already lost blood from sweating. He had lost blood from the beatings. They took him to Herod's palace and back. At that time, that would have, or the distance between Pilate and Herod, the round trip would have been about a two and a half mile walk. So this is happening in the middle of the night. He had already been beaten. He had been arrested. He had already sweat the drops of blood. Now they've gone on a two and a half mile walk the whole while beating him. And he did that for you. He did that for me. They get back to, to Pilate. When he gets back to Pilate, Pilate still doesn't want to go through with the punishment or he's, he's leaning towards not going through with the punishment. And so he tells them that I'm going to send him to be scourged. Now, part of the crucifixion process is being scourged. That's part of the process of, of someone being crucified. But they could also use scourging as the next highest level of punishment for a criminal. Um, scourging uh, was just as brutal, or it, I don't want to, it's not, it wasn't just as brutal. I misspoke there, but it was, it was awful. Um, the, the Romans, and you have to understand their culture. You have to look at how they believed and how they lived. Um, when we want to be entertained, we go and buy a ticket and we'll watch a movie or we'll buy a ticket and go watch a play or a musical. If we want a sporting event, we'll buy a ticket and go watch football or basketball or baseball or softball or soccer. We go and watch those things to be entertained. The Roman culture, when they wanted to be entertained, they would buy tickets. They would purchase their entrance into their coliseums to watch people kill each other, to watch people fight to the death. So their culture was completely different than what we could even really comprehend at this point in time. They were a culture that was fascinated with death to the point that when they punished people, they had it down to a science. You know, the scourging that took place, Jesus was hit 39 times. The Romans knew they had done it enough. They knew if a person was hit that 40th time, it would more than likely lead to their death. So they stopped at 39 to guarantee or to do their best to guarantee that that person would not die. So when Jesus was sent to be scourged, he was going to be hit 39 times with something that was called a cat of nine tails. It was a whip that had nine strands of leather coming off of it. On that leather, they would have metal balls. They would have pieces of bone, anything sharp that they could put on that whip. They connected it onto those strips of leather. So as it hit the prisoner, as it hit Jesus, the metal balls would hit the skin and cause bruising. It would, the sharp objects would catch in the skin and it would begin to start cutting away. Those metal balls would call the, cause the bruising and as they hit over and over, the skin would rupture and burst. And every time they hit, those sharp objects would catch in the skin and as they pulled it back away, it would just rip. It's brutal. It's gruesome. I don't even like talking about it, but we have to understand what Jesus went through on the cross for that. Not only that, you can understand if you've ever been injured, if you've ever broken a bone, um, if you've ever been cut bad, you understand your body goes into shock. And sometimes if you're shocked bad enough, your body will just cause you to pass out 
to bypass all the pain that you're going through. The Romans were so brutal that they kept buckets of salt water near the places where the scourging was taking place. So if the criminal or if Jesus appeared to be about to pass out, they would take the salt water and dump it over his body to where the salt would get into the wounds and the pain from that salt would be so strong that it would shock the body back awake. So they would have to go through and would experience the pain and torture as much as possible. But you know, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that it was by his stripes that we're healed. Did you know that in today's modern medicine, illnesses and diseases are broken down into 39 categories? Jesus was hit 39 times. The Bible tells us by his stripes we're healed. Anything that comes up in medicine with illnesses or diseases are broken into 39 different categories, one for each stripe that Jesus took on this scourging that took place. And in 1 Peter, it says by his stripes we're healed. Guys, that's not a coincidence. Even through the Bible and the verses, we can see how his death was meant for us. We're healed by his stripes. You know, the, the, the scourging was awful. You know, if a person was only scourged and was not crucified afterwards, the results of this were very bad. See, the, I told you the Romans had it down to a science. That 39th hit was where they stopped. If a person survived and made it past the scourging, uh, medical evidence tells us that more than likely they spent the rest of their life walking around bent over at the waist. They could never stand up straight. By the time it was over, the nerve damage on the back would have been so strong that their nerves could never regenerate. So they would lose that ability to stand up straight. Uh, the muscles would have been torn so bad that medical experts tell us by the end of that 39th hit, it would be very possible for you to, it would be more than possible. It would be likely that you would be able to see the spine of the person that uh, was being whipped. It would be likely that you would be able to see that person's kidney from behind. It would be exposed. It would be more than likely that you'd be able to count the ribs just looking at them. That's how bad the scourging was. If they did survive, they'd never walk or walk standing up straight again. But the thing was, most of them didn't survive that. Uh, they would be sent back to their homes to be treated and their bodies would be so mutilated that most of the time they would develop infection and would end up dying. The Romans justified that by saying it wasn't the scourging that killed them, it was the infection that did. So they could say they didn't execute that prisoner, they just died as a result of the infection. But things like that is what Jesus went through for us. They say, medical experts say that by the time Jesus had gone through the garden where he was bleeding, the two and a half miles of beating on the walk from Herod or from Pilate to Herod and back, the beating he took in front of the high priest and now the scourging, it's very possible that he had lost up to half of his blood content in his body. Now, when you lose a lot of blood in that method, the body does something in, in, in part of its shock where it creates a thirst. You drink, and when you drink water, it would increase your blood supply. Um, and it would help replenish some of the blood that you've lost. Uh, so your body does all these things to try to make what's going on stop. When they got through scourging him, the soldiers took him back. They took him to a place and they put a purple robe on him. 
And now, even in this, I don't think they realized it at this time, but this even helped prolong the pain and punishment. If you cut your hand or if you cut yourself shaving, what's the first thing you do? I know if I'm shaving and I cut myself, I take a little piece of toilet paper and I stick it on there. And that tissue that's on that blood helps it to clot faster. It makes it stop. If you cut yourself and you put a Band-Aid on your finger, it, it encourages clotting. It causes the bleeding to stop. When these soldiers put the robe around Jesus and they placed it on him, it was in effect, his wounds were so big that it was in effect putting that a Band-Aid on his body. It actually helped the clotting to increase to keep him from bleeding so much and bleeding so fast. They put that on there that sped up the clotting. They gave him a stick for a staff. They wound up a, a, a bunch of thorns that were about three inches in length and placed it on his head for a crown. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, stood there in a robe with a staff and a crown being mocked. Your scalp has many blood vessels. And as that crown of thorn was placed on his head, he bled profusely from his head, losing even more blood. They would take the stick that they gave him for a staff and they would hit him in the head and beat him in the head, causing that crown of thorns to push even further down onto his head. They punched him in the face. The Bible says they plucked his beard out. They did everything they could to inflict pain to him. And then it was over. When it was over, they took the robe that they had placed on his back and ripped it off. And everything that had happened to help the blood start to clot was now ripped away and the bleeding started back again. They take him back to Pilate. Pilate finally concedes and orders him to be crucified. And the next thing they did was they asked Jesus to carry his cross. They give him his cross and he has to start carrying it. Now, remember what he's gone through to this point. He's lost over half of his blood content in his body. His body's in shock. His body can't even really comprehend what's going on. And they give him a cross that weighed at least 100 pounds and told him he had to carry it all the way to Golgotha. From where he carried it to the point of crucifixion was about half a mile. They were asking a man who had went through a punishment that would never be able to stand upright again to carry at least a 100 pound cross half a mile. There's no wonder that he wasn't able to do it. They recruited a man to carry his cross for him. He travels the half a mile to Golgotha and they get him on the hill where he's about to be nailed to the cross. He's been through so much for you and for me. And now he's to the point of the actual crucifixion, the point where Julius Caesar wouldn't let people go through this. They took Jesus, they took the cross, they laid him over the cross, they stretched out his arms and they took a seven to nine inch nail and they placed it, what most people believe, in the wrist, behind the hand. Um, some were even uh, hung on a cross with the, the nail going through their forearms so the body could be sure to hold the weight. And they put that nail through his wrist and nailed it through there. They took his other hand and stretched it out as far as they possibly could to where his arms were stretched as tight as possible. And they nailed his other hand into the cross. And then as they lifted the cross up to put it into the ground, as they lifted it up and Jesus was literally hanging there on the cross, 
all of the weight of his body was hanging on his arms and on those nails. Medical experts say that that much weight on the arms and on the nails holding him to that as the cross was lifted up would have almost certainly dislocated his shoulders and his elbows. They also believe that at that time there was so much weight and so much pressure put on his body that his arms extended after they dislocated up to at least six inches a longer wingspan than he had before they put him on the cross. His body tore on the inside so much that his wingspan increased at least six inches. When they got the cross in place, they put his feet up. They nailed his feet to the cross. His knees were at 90 degree angles and he hung there. Death on the cross was not from all the punishment he had. You basically suffocated to death. Your body had trouble breathing. As he was nailed to the cross, his feet and his, his hands supporting his weight, in order to speak, Jesus had to push up on the nails. In order to breathe, Jesus had to push up on the nails. The thing about the cross was, is as you were hanging there, your diaphragm, which helps you to breathe, was supporting most of your weight and it would cause it to sink. As you inhale, your diaphragm actually goes down. It creates space in your chest cavity for your lungs to expand. With the weight of the cross, Jesus was hanging there on the cross and his diaphragm would drop with the weight. And basically he would breathe in and the, lung, the air that he brought in would get trapped in his lungs and he couldn't push it back out. So he would basically be hanging there, holding his breath with his lungs full of air. To breathe out, he would have to push on those nails with his feet and stand himself up high enough that where the diaphragm would actually raise and he could push the air out of his mouth and stand there on those nails as long as he could hold on to the pain and as long as he could stand the pain. And once he couldn't stand it anymore, his body would collapse air would rush into his lungs and he would sit there and hold his breath until he couldn't hold it anymore. He would push back up and exhale. The Bible told us while he was on the cross, he said seven sentences. He spoke seven times. Every time he wanted to speak, he would have to rise up on those nails, push air across his vocal cords, which would cause the vibration that would allow his voice to come out. It was probably very weak. It was probably hard to hear, but he was able to speak and say those seven things. As he was there, pushing himself up, pushing on those nails, the Bible tells us, or medicine, I'm sorry, medicine tells us that more than likely the area around his heart began to fill with fluid. What would happen is as your air was in your lungs, your body is bringing in oxygen it pushes out carbon dioxide as your as his body was holding that oxygen in his lungs the carbon dioxide in the blood would begin to increase he wasn't getting enough of that out and it, because the carbon dioxide increased the oxygen decreased the heart had to start beating faster to try to push more oxygen into the rest of the body to keep it alive and the carbon dioxide would cause the capillaries in the lungs and around his chest 
to start leaking out a watery substance from the blood. There was poison in the blood and the capillaries would start to leak out the water to try to get rid of it. As it leaked out, it caused his chest cavity to begin to start filled with this water, watery substance from the blood. The more it filled, the more pressure it put on the heart. The more pressure it put on the heart, the faster the heart started beating. The faster the heart started beating, the more blood was being pumped, but it was not the blood that the body needed. To the point where most people, if they died on the cross, died from some type of cardiac event, a heart attack or something like that. Jesus knew on the cross that his time was getting short. He knew that things were coming to an end. He had almost accomplished what he had done. But before that could happen, one of the things he said is when he asked God, he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because at that time is when the sin of the world was placed on him. I want you to think about this for a second. When you've done something you know you're not supposed to do, when you've sinned, when you've gone against what God told you to do, you know the guilt, the shame that you felt, that you feel. You know you shouldn't have done that. You know you've disappointed God. You've disappointed yourself. You've disappointed other people. You feel the guilt and the shame of the sin that you committed. You know how that feels on you. That's you personally. Jesus on this earth never sinned. He never did wrong. He did not know that guilt and that shame on this earth. And while he was hanging on the cross, not only my sin, the entire world's sin from the moment that Adam and Eve were created until the moment that we're with Jesus, every sin that was committed, the guilt, the shame, the hurt was put on him at that one point. And when he was feeling that for the first time that he had never felt before, the hurt, the pain, the guilt, He looks up at God and said, God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that point, God was looking at his perfect son and realized that he was carrying the sin. He was carrying my sin. He was carrying your sin. And for the first and only time in eternity, God couldn't look at Jesus and he had to turn and look away because his perfect son was carrying our sins. The pain that Jesus felt right then was possibly even worse than what he had felt physically because he went through. Once he had carried our sins on the cross, the Bible tells us, and we read earlier, that he looked up and he said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I told you to go back and read Psalms 22. The Bible tells us and said of the, per, of, the, of the Messiah when he comes that no bones within his body would be broken. It said there would be a spear in his side. The Bible tells us that every drop of blood was shed from Jesus. Every drop of blood in his body he shared for, shed for us. You know, when they got to the point and we read this, they went to the criminals. One of the things they would do to speed up a crucifixion, if need be, was to break the legs. You know, a normal crucifixion, the person could possibly stay on the cross for two or three days, depending on how strong they were, um, how much uh, endurance they had, uh, and how much they were willing to fight to stand up and down on those nails. They would last two to three days. 
uh, during this time of the Passover, the, the, they knew that was not possible. And so it was a time that they had to get the, uh, the crucifixion over with. So they went to the criminals and they broke their legs. With their legs broken, they were no longer able to stand and push up on the nails. So it sped up the suffocation process and they and they suffocated to death. When they got to Jesus, he had already passed away. He had already given up the spirit to the Lord. So they didn't break his legs, which fulfilled the prophecies that were told. No bones were broken, but they took a spear and they shoved it into his side. And the Bible says that the blood and water flowed out. Why would water flow out? Well, that's what we talked about earlier about how the capillaries would release the water from the carbon dioxide into the chest cavity. And so when they stuck the spear into his side, all that water that had been released that put the pressure on his heart and his the blood in his heart came rushing out. Medical experts say with everything that Jesus went through, the extra punishment he had that a normal crucifixion uh, prisoner would not, not had, it's very possible and, and even likely that he died from cardiac rupture, which meant, which meant when he died, his heart literally exploded which would have meant every drop of blood that was in his heart would have fell into the cavity. And when they put the spear into the side, all of his blood and his water poured out onto the ground. He went through so much. He gave up everything for you and for me. A lot of times we don't want to look at the cross and what Jesus went through because it's not a pretty picture. It's not something that's pleasant. It's not something we want to talk about, but it's something that we can't forget the brutal reality of what Jesus went through. But the joy that we can find is in what happened on Sunday. What happened three days later when that stone was rolled away, when he walked out of that grave resurrected when he started to appear to the disciples and to Mary and to the other people that he that he saw after he resurrected that's the joy that we have we have the proof that Jesus is alive and because of this Easter resurrection we know because of what the prophecies told and because of what the Bible says that if we accept him that we can spend eternity with him. You know, in my life, <clears throat> I grew up, most of you guys know me and knew my dad and and uh, grew up in church. And, you know, I, I always said, dad would ask this question, if you know you're saved, raise your hand. And I would always raise my hand. I'd had a couple experiences when I was younger where I went through the process of accepting Christ as my savior, but it never was a change in my heart. And I would always ask, say to myself when I would raise my hand, I'd say, I know I'm saved, but what if I'm not? And there was that doubt there that I thought was normal, but it's not. You can know for a fact that if you die or if Jesus comes back, you can know without a doubt that you'll spend eternity with him. You may have never heard the story of the cross the way it was shared today. and You didn't realize exactly what all Jesus went through for you. He did it for you so you could spend eternity with him. He's provided a snow white robe of righteousness. All we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is give our hearts to him.
You know, Jesus loved us so much that he came, he died, but he rose again on that third day to provide salvation for us. We don't celebrate today the fact that he died. We celebrate today, today the fact that he's alive. We don't celebrate the fact that all the bad that happened. We celebrate the fact of all the good that he's given to us. If you have doubt about your salvation, if you've never accepted him before, but you want to thank him and accept that gift of salvation he has for you, I'm going to give you a chance just in just in just a second to accept him as your savior. I can't think of a better Easter memory than to accept Christ and earn his salvation, gain his salvation. You know, we we got up this morning and uh, it was a little bit different, not our normal Sunday routine and definitely not our normal Easter routine. And we had all the kids down and and went through our gifts and, you know, and we did our, our Easter bunny stuff that we do. But we remembered the reason that there is an Easter and it's because Jesus Christ is alive and he provided salvation for you and for me. I'm going to say a prayer here in just a second. If you have never fully given your life to Christ, maybe you do the right things. Maybe you stay out of trouble, but you've never given your heart to him. The Bible tells us that doing the right thing is not enough. You have to have a relationship with Jesus to get to heaven. I'm going to say this prayer and I invite you to say it with me. Maybe you don't do the right things. Maybe you realize that you've not been doing what you need to be doing and you feel the hurt in your heart because of your sin laid on Jesus on that cross where he felt the pain the very first time. And he felt pain because of you. And you realize I need to make that right. Here's your opportunity to do that. I'm going to say this prayer and I invite you to say this prayer with me. Christians, if you know for a fact you're saved, I invite you to pray right now for those who might not as they're hearing this, that they might come to know Jesus and have a heart change relationship. I want to say this and I always do. It doesn't matter what you say in the prayer. What matters is what's in your heart. And are you willing to give yourself to Jesus and let him be your king? If you want to make that commitment today, I invite you to say this with me right now. Let's pray. Just repeat this prayer in your heart. Say it out loud, however's comfortable for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you, Lord. I know you love me. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I want you to be the king of my heart. I give my heart to you. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you forgive me. Take control of my life. Help me to live for you. Be the king of my heart and let me worship you the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray, amen. If you just said that prayer for the first time, or even if you said it for the hundredth time, but and it was different in your heart, then you've just accepted Christ as your savior. The greatest gift you could ever be given. And you'll get to spend eternity with Him. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you said that prayer and you meant it for the first time, I'm going to ask you to do something. On our Facebook page, send us a private message. I'm not wanting you to put it out there in public. I don't want to embarrass anybody or make anybody feel like um, 
you're putting yourself out there more than you want to, send us a private message on Facebook and just say, hey, I said that prayer. I just got saved. And we want to pray with you. We want to contact you and make sure that you know we're here for you if you need anything. If you don't want to do it on Facebook, send me a text message. 870-718-6541. 870-718-6541. Send me a text and let me know that you just got saved so we can talk to you and pray for you and want to be here for you because getting saved is just the first step. You're going to heaven. Now we need to grow and we want to be the type of church that can be here for you to help you to grow. So message us on Facebook. Send me a text if that's the case. Let us know that you've made a commitment to him and let us be here for you. I pray that you and your family have a great Easter. I know we're limited in what we can do. A lot of you would be leaving church right now, going to a big family function, and and in most cases, that's not going to happen today. Um, So things are different. But I want to remind you before we close that even though things here on this earth are different, our God is still the same. Our God is still in control. Jesus is still alive. He's still here. He's still holding us. And he's never going to let us go. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast from Crossroads, South Arkansas. If you're in our area, we would love to have you join us in person for a service. Crossroads, South Arkansas, reaching, inviting, serving, and expecting.